0: Oh mm-hmm. Good morning, uh, dear Sangha. Today is a Friday, September the 30th, the year 2011, and we are on third, on the third day of our retreat with the team cultivating the mind of love at the Magnolia Grove Meditation Practice Center. Our practice in uh, in France, France, Plum Village, has many monks and nuns and lay practitioners living together, and we help uh, organize uh, many retreats in uh, Europe. In England, in Germany, in Switzerland, in Italy, etc. There is a place very close to Rome in Italy called Castenfusano. We used to go and organize uh, retreats of mindfulness there. About uh, 900 to 1,000 Italian-speaking people uh, who attend the retreat, and among them about 100 children. And they shouldn't love uh, the practice. I learned some uh, Italian uh, sentences in order to speak to the children. The children, Italian children are very happy in the retreats. They enjoy walking meditation, sitting meditation, Bible meditation. And they organize instead of tea meditation, They organized a lemonade meditation. (laughs) (laughs) One day I gave them uh, a homework of meditation to do. The day before I went to a grocery store in the center and I bought uh, a bag of corn seeds. Not to make popcorn, but to, uh, to distribute to the children. Each children receive one seed of corn, one grain of corn. And they are supposed to bring that grain of corn home and plant it in a pot. And they have to water every day until the seed of corn sprout and give one, two, or three leaves. And the seed of corn become a young plant of corn. And then you go, you come and talk to the young plant of corn. And you say something like, uh, my dear young plant of corn, do you remember the time you were a tiny seed? Ask, ask that question. You know the, the, mm, the the corn plant, they don't speak uh, Italian, or French, or English. <laughs> but they have their way of uh, talking. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the answer of the young plant of corn. The young plant of corn was very surprised, is very surprised when you ask her that question. My dear little plant of corn, do you remember the time you were a tiny seed? And the answer is always me A tiny seed? I don't believe it <laughs> That's the answer you receive You know that uh, It is the truth that the plant of corn has come from a very tiny seed of corn. So you have to help the plant of corn to remember, to know that she began with a seed of corn. And with the loving speech, you begin to explain, Listen dear one, it's me who planted the seed in this pot. It's me who water the pot every day, and I saw the time when you the seeds sprout and the first leaf. Uh, I know very well that you came from a seed of corn, and if you are skillful enough, and then the plant of corn will believe you. <laughs> you know the truth, but you have to be skillful in order to to disclose the truth. The people even uh, plants, they are suspicious. <laughs> so you have to be uh, patient and skillful in order to tell the truth. And you can even meditate with this plant of seed. You know that uh, when uh, the plant of corn manifests herself as a plant, you don't see the seed of corn anymore. You don't see the seed of corn anymore. But that does not mean that the seed of corn has died. You don't see it, but it is still there. It has not died. It has become a plant of corn. And you find out the truth that the the plant of corn is the continuation of the seed of corn. And if you look deeply into the plant of corn, you can still see the seed of corn. Not in its previous form, but in its new form. Look at this. I'm pouring some tea in my glass. And uh, I'm doing that. I'm doing this uh, mindfully. And when I do it mindfully, I see that this tea has come from a cloud. Yesterday it was a cloud in the sky, but today it is tea. So there is a a connection between the cloud and the tea. And when you look at the tea and if you don't see the cloud, you have not really seen the tea. You believe that you see the tea. Tea, but uh, you have not really seen the tea. You have to see the cloud still alive in the tea. The cloud has not died. It simply become the tea, or the ice, or the rain, or your ice cream. <laughs> so when you next time you, when you eat the ice cream, your ice cream, look more deeply and see a cloud in your ice cream. That's meditation. Meditation allowed us to see things that other people cannot see. So when you look uh, into the tea, you see a cloud. And when you drink your tea, you are drinking your cloud. There's already a lot of cloud in yourself. You are made of cloud. Mm-hmm among other things. So I see clouds in me, I see cloud in the tea, and this cloud is going to join other clouds in my body. So when you look at the young plant corn deeply, You see the seed of God. You still see the seed of God. It has not died. It has simply become a young plant of God. So you remove the idea that the the seed of God has died. No, it has not died. When you look up into the sky, you don't see your cloud anymore. You might cry. You might like to cry. You have a beloved uh, favorite cloud in the sky. And you used to contemplate her, to see her beauty. But this morning you don't see your beloved cloud anymore in the sky and you want to cry. And you believe that your cloud has died. You have grief Sorrow, despair in you. But it is impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud can become snow, or rain, or ice, or tea, or ice cream. But it is impossible for a cloud to become nothing. So your beloved cloud is still there somewhere. Look deeply and you will not cry anymore. You, a little boy or a little girl, you are very much like a young plant of corn. You begin by being a very tiny seed. Do you believe it? You're tinier than a seed of corn. Hmm. Your father, your mother, have planted together the seed. Just one cell, a very tiny cell. And now you become a big boy, a big girl. And you might not believe it, but someone, a biologist, can help you to understand. And you realize that you, just like the young plant of corn, you begin by being a very tiny seed in the womb of your mother. And do you remember? It's very comfortable there in the womb of your mother. The weather was perfect. (laughs) Not too hot, not too cold, and it's very soft. And you don't have to worry about anything. Your, fa- your mother drunk for you, drink for you, your mother eat for you, and beef for you, you don't have to do anything. That is uh, a perfect being time. That's paradise. And you know you spend nine months there in that paradise without any worries. Yes, sometimes, from time to time, your mother cried. and you had intention to cry with her. And sometimes your mother smile, and you want to smile with her. And your dad was very careful, and he knew that he should not do anything to make uh, your mother cry. Otherwise, you will cry with her. That is a practice of mindfulness. They know that you are there. And they don't want you to suffer. That is why they take good care of themselves. And now, when we look into ourselves, our body, the little boy looks into his body, the little girl looks into her, her body, they know that their father and their mother are in them. If we believe that our father and our mother are only outside of us, that is not right thinking. That's not the truth. If you think that uh, the seed of corn is outside of the plant of corn, you are wrong. The seed of corn is in the plant of corn. And the plant of corn is a continuation of the seed of corn. And the plant of corn will bring the seed of corn into the future. So the children, they they have the father and the mother in themselves. And when they know that, when they get angry at the father, they get angry at themselves. When they get angry at their mother, they get angry at themselves. There are young men, young women who get angry at their father. So angry that they can say things like um, That man, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah, there are young men who get so angry at their father and who declare like that. That person, I don't want to have to do anything with him. That is not possible because you can remove your father from yourself. You are a continuation of your father. You are your father. That is the fact. So it's better to look deeply, to see the truth and to reconcile your father inside of you. If we remove our father from us, he can no longer be there. If we remove our mother from our, ourselves, we cannot continue, because we are the continuation of father and mother. We are our father, we are our She passed away a long time ago. But my mother in me, she's still alive. I can get in touch with her at any time I want. I can talk to her now. During sitting, walking, eating, drinking, I see my mother breathing with me, walking with me. Sometimes I invite my mother to walk, with my feet during walking meditation. Mother, enjoy walking with me. It's my feet, but it's your feet also. So mother and son enjoy walking together. Very nice. My mother is always alive. I remember that a few years ago we visited India and we do walking meditation with people in New Delhi. And they reserve us the biggest boulevard in the city for us to do walking meditation. Enjoy walking with the sangha. And I remember I invited my mother to walk with me. Mother let us enjoy walking in New Delhi. (laughs) And mother and son enjoy walking, making steps. And I can see my mother very happy walking with me in New Delhi. I also invited my teacher to walk with me. He had never been in India. (laughs) And I invited my father to walk with me. I remember when I was small, some time to time I had a fever. And I suffered so much. But when my mother came and put her hand on my forehead, just her hand on my forehead, I suffered much less. It's like a miracle, the the hand of a mother. She has not done much. She has not given any medicine, anything to drink. Just her hand touching my forehead, I felt wonderful. I suffer much less. I always remember that. And when I practice meditation, I can see this hand, although it is my hand, but it is also the hand of my mother. The hand of my mother is in my hand. This is a continuation of the hand of my mother. So the hand of my mother is still available And now, as a grown-up person, every time I had a fever, I wanted to have that feeling again. Mother, put your hand on my forehead, and then she does it right away. (laughs) So when you practice meditation, you see things like that. You can have a lot of joy, and you don't have to suffer anymore. And communication between son and mother, son and father, is always good if you have uh, the insight that son and father inter-are. Son is in the father and father is in son. Daughter is in the mother. And mother is in the daughter, and if we have uh, that kind of insight, no anger is possible. I have, I know that the children have learned um, Bible meditation well, and they have also learned how to invite the bell. Very good. I think we are now to have to try to catch up with uh, the children. So this Dhamma talk is about uh, our father in us, our mother in us, and we have to take good care of our father in us and our mother in us. Yesterday, we have uh, uh, learned the first eight exercises of mindful breathing to identify our in-breath and out-breath, to follow our in-breath and out-breath all the way through, to become aware of the existence of our body, to release uh, the tension in our body first four exercises are to help us to take care of our body. The fifth is um, to generate a feeling of joy. The sixth is to generate a feeling of happiness. The seventh is to recognize a painful feeling, a painful emotion. And The eighth is to embrace the painful feeling and emotion in order to get a relief. And today we learn uh, the ninth exercise of mindful breathing. The day I discovered this discourse on the practice of mindful breathing, I was so happy. The nine is uh, to recognize the mental formation that has manifested Aware of mental formation Well, with the first four exercises, we are in the realm of uh, the physical body With the second uh, set of fourth exercise, we are in the realm of feeling And now we pass into the realm of the mental formation the mind Our mind is made of uh, particles Now in modern physics they speak about uh, matter reality as being made of uh, particles, subatomic particles. But in Buddhist psychology we speak about consciousness, mind, in terms of uh, mental formation. It's a very tiny particle that make up our mind. Formation is uh, translated from the word uh, Samskara. The Chinese is uh, Han. (coughs) And it translates the word Samskara into Formation. Anything that is uh, formed like a flower is a formation. Many conditions have come together in order for a flower to manifest as a flower. We see the sunshine, we see the rain, we see the cloud, we see the soil, we see many things that come together and give uh, and, and support uh, a flower to manifest in the form of a flower. So anything that is, any compounded thing made up of uh, different elements is called a formation. So this is a formation, this is a physical formation. And this uh, cushion is also a formation. It is made of uh, several elements. The bell is a formation. The marker is a formation, a physical formation. And My hand is a formation. It is a physiological formation. And my anger, my fear is a mental formation. So mind is made of Mental formations, like a river, is made of <coughs> drops of water. And in the Buddhist tradition, uh, we speak of uh, 51 categories of mental formations. There are good ones, like compassion, love, nonviolence, uh, loving kindness. Insight, mindfulness, many good uh, mental formations There are negative mental formations like fear, anger, despair, discrimination And so on There who are those who can be either positive or negative like uh, thinking Thinking might be good In the, in the case of right thinking but thinking might be negative Thinking might lead to suicide Thinking might lead to understanding and compassion So there are mental formations that can be either positive or negative and, uh, When I was uh, a student uh, of the Buddhist Institute, I had to memorize all the 51 and when one of them manifests i had to 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 be able to name it to 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 recognize it and call it by its true name so the nine exercise is that Whenever there is a mental formation manifesting, you have to be able to recognize it and call it by its true name. Suppose anger manifests, you say, hello anger, I know you. You are a mental formation called anger. I will take good care of you. (laughs) Uh, In Buddhist psychology, we speak of uh, consciousness uh, in terms of uh, store and mind mind consciousness and store consciousness Store consciousness is the kind of consciousness that has the power to to receive information To uh, process informations and to store them, it is always there with the body and in store consciousness there are seeds. So seed is a. Uh, Technical term in Buddhist psychology, seeds. The Sanskrit word is a Chúng tử in Chinese. Summons in French. Seeds. And these are particles that make up uh, consciousness. They are down there in form of particle, of seed Like uh, anger When we are not angry The seed of anger has not manifested But it is always there When we are having a good time, we are not angry at all that does not mean that the seed of anger is not in us. If someone comes and touches it, someone come and say something or do something, does something and water the seed of anger in us, and then that seed will manifest up here on the level of mind consciousness as a mental formation. I says chitta samskara. Chitta samskara. Tamhan. So anger is a mental formation. It's chitta samskara. And that energy of anger, that mental formation, can stay long up here or not. It depends on our practice. As a good practitioner, we know that if we allow the mental formation of anger to stay too long here, at the base it will grow. So, a good practitioner is not trying to suppress the energy of anger and try to push it down, because if you try to to suppress, to push it down, and then the, it does not work. <laughs> it comes up again and stronger. So trying to push it down. is to set up a kind of barrier here, preventing it to come up. And that's the way many of us do. Like uh, fear, anger, loneliness, when they manifest up here, we feel the landscape of mind consciousness is not beautiful, not pleasant. Therefore we try to suppress. And the usual way is to consume. There are those of us who just go and open the refrigerator and take something to eat. We are not hungry at all. We are eating in order to forget, to get busy in order to not to have to, to confront, to touch the mental formation that is anger or fear or loneliness. Or we might turn on the television to watch. That is to cover up, that is to suppress. And do many of us do that in our daily life. Or we take our car and go somewhere. Or we take the phone and talk to someone. We try to ignore that. And the supermarket Provide us with many kinds of means in order to help us (laughs) suppress these mental formations that are ready to come up. Because uh, in our daily life, we are kind of feeding them. And they become stronger and stronger there. And if they are strong, they naturally want to push their way up. And if we suppress them during the day, they will come up during the night, in in our dreams. And many of us in society, we don't know the practice. That is why we try to suppress by the way of uh, consumption. And like that, we create a situation of bad circulation in the mind. And when the mind the mental formation does not circulate do not circulate well, uh, symptoms of uh, mental illness can appear. And that, that is why it's not good to set up a barrier here. It's good to allow them to come up. If you are a good practitioner and you will invite the seat of mindfulness down here to come up. We all have the seat of mindfulness, concentration, insight, compassion, loving kindness, and joy. We have to make good use of them. We have to give them a lot of chance to come up. And that is uh, what a good practitioner would do. When you come to a retreat like this, we give them a lot of chances. When we listen to a Dharma talk, the rain, the Dharma rain, will water these and they pop up very easily. And they give us joy, happiness and so on. So a good practitioner, while uh, noticing that the seat of anger or despair come up. She could not try to suppress. But she begin to breathe mindfully, or to walk mindfully, generating the energy of mindfulness to manifest. Because uh, mindfulness is also a mental formation, a good one. So with the the energy of of, of mindfulness we can recognize and embrace this tenderly We do not fight. Mindfulness is not going to fight or suppress anger Mindfulness is taking good care of anger, embracing anger tenderly like a mother holding her baby and any good practitioner should be able to do that. We have to learn to train ourselves to do that. Hello, my little pain. I know you are there. I will take good care of you. And doing walking meditation, sitting meditation, mindful breathing. A kind of uh, lullaby, lullaby, in, uh, the mental formation of pain. And after having been embraced by the energy of mindfulness, the mental formation will lose some of its strength. It's like uh, the ailing baby being embraced by a loving mother suffer less, and the baby might stop crying. So the mental formation, after having been embraced by the energy of mindfulness, will go down again to its original place here and losing a little bit of its energy. And that is why anytime time a negative mental formation manifests, you have to do something. And that, not, that something is not to suppress, to fight, but to invite uh, the energy of mindfulness, concentration and insight to come up and to take care. It's like this mental formation taking a bath of mindfulness, taking a bath of concentration before going down here. And if we know how to do this, it will restore the state of good circulation in our psyche. And the mental illness, mental symptoms of illness will disappear after a few weeks. Restoring the circulation of the mind. So the exercise number nine is to become aware of any mental formation that manifests down uh, from down there to up here. including the negative ones. the 10 exercise is uh, to glut glad- to gladden the mind, the mental formation, to give strength, to give joy, to give vitality to the mind. And this is a Equivalent to the practice of uh, right diligence, and it consists of four steps. Right diligence, the first step. The first aspect of the practice is uh, not to give opportunities to the negative uh, grains, the negative seeds to come up. The seeds of fear, anger, despair, jealousy, violence that are in us. We should not give them too much chance to come up. We organize a kind of environment where these seats are not water every day. Because when we watch television, when we read uh, magazines, books, films, when we have conversation, well, the TV program, the magazine, the conversation might touch off. The worst in us Despair, fear, anger And that is, uh, that is why in the five mindfulness trainings uh, We have the fifth one about uh, mindful consumption We should know how to consume That will not fit the seed of anger, fear, craving, despair in us There is much violence, anger, fear in what we consume. That is why we have to consume with, uh, with uh, mindfulness to protect ourselves, our children, and our uh, uh, family, our society. Mindful consumption is the way. Even when we have a conversation, What the other person say might might be full of anger, hate, despair. And if we sit and listen for one hour like that, the seed of anger, despair, violence in us will be water. It's not good for us, for our health. That is why we refrain from listening and talking about the things that can help increase uh, uh, the negative uh, elements in us. And if we are in, we live in a an environment that is not good, where the collective energy is so negative, people have a lot of violence fear, anger, discrimination. And if we allowed ourselves and our children to live in such an environment, we'll be infected by, by, by it. And down there, in the, in the bottom of our consciousness, these seeds, the negative seeds will continue to grow. Even if don't, we don't want it, we have to try, we have to make an effort to move out and settle in a better environment where the bad seeds in us will not be water every day. And when we are in a relationship, relationship, we can sign a, a love treaty, a peace treaty with the, the other person. My dear one, I know That uh, there are negative seeds in me, the seeds of fear, jealousy, uh, despair, anger in me. If you really care for me, don't water these seeds in me. If you do, I will suffer, and you have to suffer too. (laughs) So please, darling, if you really love me and care for me, Refrain from watering the negative seeds in me. I promise not to water these seeds in you because you do have these seeds also. I promise that I will not water the negative seeds in me by myself and I ask you to do the same, not to water the negative seeds in me. And I promise not to water the negatives in you and you promise not to water negative seed in yourself. So in a good relationship, that must be uh, a kind of agreement that you have to make. So that is the first aspect of the practice, not watering the negative seeds in each other. Do not give them a chance to pop up on the level of mind consciousness. Keep them down there if you can. If they have no chance to to come up, they will not grow. And if they have a lot of chances to, to manifest up on the level of, um, of uh, mind consciousness and then at the base, they continue to grow. This is what is recommended by the Buddha. The second aspect of the practice is if by chance a bad seed has manifested up as a mental formation, try your best to help it to go down as quickly as possible. And we have all already learned the art of embracing the painful, the affliction that manifests with the energy of mindfulness and concentration and insight. We do not try to suppress, but we recognize and embrace. And after some time embracing, they will be embraced, they will go down there and lose some of its strength. And the second way is uh, to invite another seat of uh, the opposite nature to come up. There are many good seats down there. We can invite them up in order to change the landscape of mind consciousness. When you, when you listen to a piece of music in a CD, and if you don't like, why do you allow it to continue? You can push a button to stop and change the CD and have the kind of music you like. This is very much the same. You have many good CDs down there. <laughs> You have the seat of love, of compassion, of joy, of mindfulness. Play that CD. So this practice is changing the CD. <laughs> and if the other person is caught in her, in her mood, in her mental formation, you have should help him, darling. Stop playing that CD. But another one, you can always help him or her to change the city. So that is the second aspect of the practice recommended by the Buddha. If a negative mental formation manifests, ask a good one to come and replace. And that can be done joyfully. And the third aspect of the practice of diligence is that the good seeds in you are in her. Give them plenty of chance for them to come up. We learn the art of uh, flower watering. We always water the good seeds in us and in the other person. And this practice can bring the result very quickly. Maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes can transform a person. Because there are good things in him, in her. And if you remain, remain, remind him, remind her, if you say something and do something in order to touch the good things in that person, she will become a happy person right away. She will release what is not uh, Joyful and happy in her. I remember that day I gave a talk. Uh, that is the day of the the anniversary of the birth of the Buddha in Plum Village. And many people came from uh, the city of Bogdo. There was a couple. Uh, from Bogdo, you were you drive one hour to Plum Village. And I was giving a talk about flower watering, watering the good seeds. And I noticed that the presence of a lady who sit in the audience, and she cried from the beginning of the talk to the end. I knew uh, the couple, I know the couple. couple. So, after the talk, I went to him and I said, Dear friend, it seems that your flower needs some watering. He understood right away. Many of us know the practice, but do not practice. They need a friend in the dharma. They need a sangha to remind them of the practice. So after lunch, they drove home, and uh, during the time uh, uh, driving home, uh, he practiced watering the the good seeds in her. And when they arrived, they were so joyful, and the children were very surprised. (laughs) She has so many qualities in her, he just talk about these qualities, and then he'll become another person. It's very quick. In Plumbly, we call it the practice of selective watering. (laughs) You don't water the negative seed. You only water the good seeds. And it works very quickly. Please believe me. It works very quickly. And we have to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to remember to water the good seeds in us and in the other person. We have to profit, to make good use of the good seeds in us. And when they have manifested up on the level of mind consciousness, down there, they continue to grow, to grow stronger and stronger. That is called uh, ashraya parabriti. It means uh, transformation at the base, on the level of seeds. So, if in a relationship both of you know the practice of selective watering you can bring a lot of joy in your relationship. The fourth aspect of the practice is if the good seed has manifested, keep it as long as you can up there. (laughs) It's like when you have a loving friend visiting you, you want to keep him or her as long as you could because uh, her presence, his presence, bring a lot of joy to you. So this is the same. When a good thing manifests, we try to keep them to maintain that presence for a long time. And uh, if you keep the good things uh, as long as possible up there on the level of mind consciousness, and down there, the good seeds continue to grow. This is the teaching of the Buddha on right diligence, right efforts, one of the eight factors of a noble path, a for Noble Path. And that is the object of the tenth exercise of mindful breathing. And the eleventh exercise is concentrating. mind and the 12 is liberating mind mental formation we know that mindfulness uh, is a kind of energy that that carries within herself uh, the energy of concentration. And if you continue the practice of mind, mindfulness throughout the day, our concentration continues to grow. And when you are concentrated, you discover the nature of what is there. When you look at the tea with concentration, You can discover that the tea is the continuation of uh, the cloud, and so on. When you look into a flower, you discover that a flower is made only of non-flower elements. When you look at a lotus flower, you know that uh, the lotus flower is made of non-lotus elements, including the element of mud, mud. The mud is not Uh, very clean It does not smell good But without the mud a lotus flower is impossible And when you look at happiness You see that happiness is made of non-happiness elements Including suffering If you know how to handle suffering if we you know how to make good use of the suffering, we can produce happiness. If you are an organic gardener, you don't want to throw away the garbage. You can preserve them and make them into compost and nourish the flowers and the vegetables. So suffering has a role to play in making happiness. And a good practitioner is not afraid of suffering. She knows how to make good use of suffering in order to create happiness. And that is why concentration is so important. Mindfulness brings concentration. And when mindfulness and concentration are powerful, you get a breakthrough. And you you get the insight into the nature of everything that is. And we can be liberated from our afflictions, our fear, our anger, and so on. So liberation, freedom, is the fruit of concentration. And in many schools of Buddhism, we learn many forms of uh, practice of concentration. Samadhi concentration samadhi is to focus on our mind in just one point one pointed mind when you when you you expose the le- the lens through the sunshine the lens can Concentrate the light into one One small part And when you put a piece of paper there, it will be burned The same thing is true with concentration When you have a strong a powerful uh, a powerful uh, concentration That concentration will be able to burn away your afflictions whether it is fear or anger or despair. And there are many forms of, uh, many practices of concentration. And, there, and there, is, there are three kinds of concentration that can be seen in every school of Buddhism. Concentration on, on uh, emptiness, shunyata concentration on uh, signlessness Votu. the concentration on aimlessness Vota. And these three forms of uh, practice, these three practices of um, concentration are available in every school of Buddhism. And they are called the three doors of liberation. Every if we uh, master the practice of uh, this, of of this uh, concentration, we surely be able to liberate ourselves from our afflictions, including our fear, our anger, and our despair. And we know that uh, the eight. Uh, the seven and the eight exercise are just to recognize and embrace the afflictions. But with the eleven and the 12th well we go further, we get the insight that can help liberate us from from that affliction. Impermanence is one form of concentration. Non-self is another form of concentration. There are many wonderful practices of uh, concentration Suppose we talk about uh, impermanence as a practice We all know what impermanence is Everything changes. The, lit- the baby becomes uh, a little boy, the little boy become uh, a young man, a young man become a father and then a grandfather, everything changing. When you look into the family album, you see yourself, uh, the picture of yourself as uh, a baby. And you ask the question, am I the same with that baby or not? You are so different from the baby. Form, feelings, perception, mental formation, consciousness, are so different from the baby in the picture. And yet you still keep the same name. And we know that impermanence is the nature of things. And we understand perfectly what impermanence is. But in our daily life, we still believe, we still uh, behave as things are, are permanent. Things are impermanent, but because we see them as permanent, that is why we suffer. Suppose you get angry at your beloved one. She just said something, or did something that makes you angry. And in order to suffer less, you want to say something very strong, do something very strong to punish him or her, and you believe that by doing so, you will suffer less. That's the very childish, but many of us do. And when you say something strong, do something strong, and the other person will suffer and she will try to suffer less, and she will (laughs) say something even stronger. (laughs) And that is an escalation of anger. But if we know the practice of uh, meditation on impermanence, we may like to close our eyes and take one in-breath. And during that uh, the time of the in-breath, we can visualize the other person and ourselves What we become in 300 years Not 300 years, just 100 years you become ash and the other person will become ash ashes and it's uh, not very wise to get angry at (coughs) each other because you know that her nature is impermanent and your nature is also impermanent. It's not a wise thing to get angry at each other and make each other suffer. So just close your eyes and breathe in and touch the nature of impermanence in that person and in you. It does not take long. To you, for you to touch the reality of impermanence. And you see that how unwise to behave like that. And when you open your eyes, you are, you are very glad that she, he is still alive. And you would like to take him or her into your arms. Breathing in, I know you are still there alive within now, I am so happy. So impermanence as a theory, as a notion, does not help. Impermanence as a concentration, as an insight, has the power to liberate. Many of us have the notion of impermanence, the idea of impermanence, and we accept wholeheartedly the reality of impermanence But we do not practice the insight, we do not have the insight of impermanence. So during our daily life, we should train ourselves to look at everything, at everyone, in such a way that we can touch the nature of impermanence in everyone, everything, and we will behave uh, wisely, and will not make, uh, create suffering for us, for the other person. So, according to the teaching, the knowledge about impermanence does not help. In only the insight and samadhi, the concentration on impermanence, can help liberate us from suffering. Samadhi means to keep it alive like that, and not to allow it to die. The last four exercises of mindful breathing is about (coughs) objects of mind, about our perception. It's interesting to know that uh, in the practice of meditation, we classify reality into four areas. The first is body. The second is feeling. The third is mind And the fourth is objects of mind We do not speak of reality, the cosmos, the universe, as something outside of the mind We speak of it as the object of of our mind Sun, the sun, the moon, the stars The cosmos is an object of our mind, not a a, a reality that exists outside of our mind. And the last four exercises of mindful breathing help us with the practice of concentration so that we can uh, can, uh, release and transform our suffering. The thirteenth exercise is the practice of a samadhi called impermanence. Contemplating impermanence. The fourteen is contemplation. Fifteen is uh, contemplating nirvana, the ultimate, and the sixteen, which is the last of uh, the uh, the exercise, is uh, contemplating. Letting go. The 14th has to do with our idea of happiness. And many of us uh, believe wrongly that our happiness, our true happiness is made of uh, objects of craving like uh, money, wealth, fame, power sex, and so on. We believe that happiness is possible only when we are able to buy anything we want to buy. Happiness is possible when we have a lot of power, a lot of fame. a lot of sex. But we know that there are those who have plenty of these things. They suffer very deeply. They even commit suicide. Look at some of them. They destroy the body, the mind, the life, running after these objects of craving. As far as power is concerned, how much power do we need in order to be happy? So, if you hold the office of the President of the United States of America, you think that, that you have enough power to do anything you like, <laughs> ask, ask the President. <laughs> he will tell you. He needs more power. So uh, When we look at the object of our craving We have to see the danger in it And if you can see the danger of self-destruction In the object of our craving, we will be released We'll be free and our happiness is made of freedom A fish may like to bite at the bait if uh, she does not know that inside of the bait there is a hook. If she bites and then she will hook up, be hook up and lose her life. So the object of craving has the hook inside. And we have to see the danger of self-destruction in that, uh, in that object of craving. And only after we have got the insight that we can be free from it. Otherwise, we continue to run after. And according to this teaching and practice, conditions of happiness are already available and more than enough for you to be happy. You don't have to run after anything else. It is possible to live uh, more simply and happy right here and right now. In Plum Village, um, no one of us has uh, a private house, a private bank account, a private telephone, (laughs) When I visited uh, Vietnam after 49 years of uh, exile, I, was, uh, I had the opportunity to address uh, a crowd of intellectuals at the Ho Chi Minh uh, uh, political, uh, the Ho Chi Minh Institute of Political Science. At the best of uh, uh, theorists in the uh, Marxist uh, lineage were there, mm. listen to me. And I said the same, dear friends, in Plum Village, no one of us has a private car. No one of us has a, a, a private bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and the true communist. That's us (laughs) And they laugh and laugh and laugh (laughs) They did not get angry at all In fact, many of them have a bank account in Switzerland And yet, we are happy enough. We are happy because we are able to welcome friends to come and practice with us. and We can see transformation and healing taking, taking place right in Plum Village. And wherever we go and offer a retreat of mindfulness, we see transformation and healing happening always in our retreats. That makes us very happy. We feel that uh, we are useful. Our life has a meaning. And living together hundreds of people, we can simply, we can build brotherhood, sisterhood, sustaining us. So to live simply and to be happy with that simple life is something possible. We don't have to run after these objects of craving. And uh, the 15th exercise on contemplating the ultimate is the dream of the Buddhist teaching and practice. The ultimate reality is available. And in Buddhism, we speak of uh, the two dimensions of reality, the historical dimension. And the ultimate dimension in the historical dimension they, it seems to uh, that there is the existence of birth and death beginning and ending above, below, right and left, suffering and happiness. But when we touch with mindfulness and concentration, we can touch uh, the the historical dimension deeply and we can also touch the ultimate dimension at the same time. By by getting in touch deeply with the historical dimension, we get in touch also with the ultimate dimension. The ultimate is uh, available. It's like uh, modern science. We know that there is two kinds of sciences now. The classical science represented by Newton and quantum uh, physics now. And they, ha- they, they, they have two different versions of reality. And there must be a connection between the two. So in Buddhism, we also have uh, the teaching of two kinds of truth. The conventional truth and the uh, ultimate truth, and in the conventional truth, we see that there is I and you, there is the Buddha different from uh, living beings, there is uh, suffering different from uh, happiness, there is a life different from from death but The practice of Buddhist meditation can help us touch reality much more deeply. It will transcend the dualistic view and touch uh, the ultimate, touch Nirvana in the here and the now, and lose all our fear and anger and despair. It's like uh, a wave on the surface of the ocean in, in terms of wave, you have uh, the beginning of the wave and the end of the wave. There is a rising of the wave and the falling of the wave. There is uh, this wave and the other wave. This wave might be higher or lower than the other wave and the wave can be subjected to many kinds of fear, anger, uh, complex and so on. But if uh, the wave uh, comes back to herself and touch deeply her true nature, which is water, and she realizes that uh, she, she is, at the same time, wave and water. As a wave, she has to suffer a beginning, an ending, a coming up, a going down this wave and other wave. But as water, she doesn't have to suffer. And when she recognizes that she is water, she loses all her fear and anger and jealousy. She is joyful when rising and joyful when falling. But the wave does not have to go and search for water somewhere else. She is water in the here and the now. So the ultimate dimension is us, is in us. The historical dimension also is in us. With mindfulness, concentration and insight, we touch deeply the historical dimension. And we, at the same time, we touch the ultimate dimension, nirvana, and we are free from the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. Tomorrow we shall have a, a session of question and answers, right? And hopefully we have a chance to, uh, to deal with um, the topics of uh, deep listening, loving speech, and how to uh, Handle our anger. Because we would like to devote to the last talk on how to touch the ultimate dimension and uh, learn about the three concentrations that are described as the three doors of salvation, the three doors of liberation. This is the cream of Buddhist teaching and practice.